Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Good evening, and welcome to our special Halloween edition of Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the horribly absurd. Tonight we continue our series of classic horror movies and their remakes. Last week, we took you to Camp Crystal Lake. This week, we are going to take a trip down memory lane to the movie that haunted your dreams on Elm Street. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the boiler room, one, two, I'm coming for you, my name is Don. And to my right, the guy guaranteed to haunt your dreams, this is John. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. And to my left, the guy most likely to have dead bodies in his basement, this is Ken. Hey, that's never been proven. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing great, been waiting yeah. for this one. Yeah, why is that? Love me some Freddy. Love you some Freddy. Freddy. Uh, yeah, tonight we are talking 1984's Wes Craven's masterpiece, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And the 2010 remake. There, there was a remake? You know, and when the remake was announced, of course, I'm apprehensive. This is the third uh Michael Bay produced remake we've gotten. We got Texas, which we talked about. We got Friday the 13th, which we, I think, kind of liked more than Texas, obviously, but it still wasn't a great film. And now we're going with this one. So in my book, Michael Bay's one in one, right? This will kind of determine. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and we'll talk about it, but the remake felt more like uh, the remake of Texas. So kind of felt like a nightmare. Yeah, kind of felt like a nightmare. Not, and not the good, fun nightmares. So how, how did these movies do box office-wise? Was, was the original uh, a stronger box office, or was the remake a stronger box office? Out of curiosity. Well, be, uh, given the time and uh, you know when the remake was made, the uh, remake was uh, way more profitable but if you do the inflation i'm not sure where the original stands but the original came in somewhere around like 57 million and the remake was like 114 maybe or something like that we talk about it when we get into details but um yeah it financially i think it did okay but it got so bombed that i'm sure they were planning a sequel you know they, oh, were, they were yeah they've been they've been planning a sequel to friday the 13th forever and that never came about so yeah the fan hate killed any chances of a sequel of the remake now don i know you are a nightmare on elm street fanboy. yes why is that well this movie had a very big impact on me and and by this movie of course i'm referring to the original uh 1984 uh I, uh 1985 i think it's out on vhs um i i have two older brothers we rent it on vhs um my parents are gone it's middle of the day and we pop it in and I get to, we get to uh, Tina's death. 
Mm-hmm. And as soon as that scene happens and I see her being drug up the wall and blah, 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 I immediately freak out and run across the street and hang out with uh, the older lady who lived across the street and kept her company and watched uh, soap operas and stuff. So, And from that moment on, I had been traumatized by one Freddy Krueger. And that turned into a love-hate relationship? Or? Well, it, it was a, a definitely a hate relationship. It was a while before I could go uh, go back to sleep with the lights off. Um, let's just say that. But, um, yeah, and then two comes out, and, you know, two's two. Uh, I don't think I ever saw two in the theater. I think the, the first Elm Street I saw in the theater was uh, Dream Warriors, the third one, and... It's borderline uh, one, uh, my favorite next to the original. Uh, then four, five, six, they all kind of came out, and you just love them from the moment. You either love uh, Freddie or you hate him, right? I I think he's probably the more the more terrifying and more uh, charismatic of the four killers that we're talking about, right? Jason. Leatherface, Michael Myers, and Freddy. Uh, Freddy talks. He's yeah. the first. He's first slasher with a personality. Yeah, he gets personal. Yeah. So, and because of that, if you if you compare Freddy with all the other ones, because he has this personality, it, it makes him more deadly. It makes him more um, terrifying, right? Uh, as opposed to the other ones, uh, Leatherface, Jason, and Michael Myers, they're all kind of like the shark from Jaws. They just kill. No rhyme, no reason. Mm-hmm. They just kill. So they don't have to talk and they're menacing and they're, they're doing it all physically. And But Freddy came in with a, a personality and yeah, he's the fucking master. I think and, out of all of them, he is definitely my favorite. And he feeds off of his victim's fear, not only just killing them. So the other ones just kill. This one actually, he builds up the fear because that's what feeds him and nourishes him. Yeah, and and, it, and it's a it's an ongoing theme throughout the series, you know, and and it really is prevalent in uh, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Well, if you can't tell from my prop collection, I I like Freddy a little bit as well. I don't know. I don't see your prop collection. I see my new uh, newly acquired prop collection on my table in my house. Nine tenths of the law collection and it is quite impressive uh we have a freddy hat a statue of freddy uh, a funko pop of freddy uh, his red and green sweater and probably the coolest prop i've ever seen a um i don't want to say it's a working version but a, a pretty authentic looking version of freddy's glove yeah from trickortreatstudios.com there you go you, now you i do want to give plug. I want to give a quick plug out to uh, an Etsy friend of mine named Luis at Freddie K Creations, who cr- uh, created the hat for me, which she was nice enough to get sent here quick enough so we could have it and wear it during our podcast. Well, thank you, Luis, so very much. That hat is awesome. So well done. Well done. Yeah. Do you remember when you saw it, Professor? It was in the theater. I remember it scared the pants off me. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, we by yourself with a group of friends on it a had day to be, had to be with a group of friends yeah yeah had to be right on right on what about you there john i don't remember if i saw the first one in the theater or probably was a blockbuster rental but i was hooked from the start yeah i just loved the idea because it was such i love the storytelling in some movies and it was such a different story a different take on a character you know if you think about it 
the one safe place you have is your dreams, is your sleep. And if you're not safe there, everyone has to sleep at some point. At some point. And so the idea of trying to stay awake to avoid this guy when eventually you're going to have to face him um, was just this strong idea. And it was just amazing to me. I became a fanatic of basically following whatever Wes Craven did after this. Yeah. And, you know, RIP Wes Craven, I think that this and Scream... Um, definitely the high points mm -hmm. you know uh there were a couple uh decent things uh in between here and there but yeah he was really known for the guy who created freddy yeah, and he could just tell a story as well as create these characters create these things that violated the typical slasher rules yeah. um so i you know i just i fell in love with that i was worried when i saw the second one that they were taking it in a weird direction of bringing him into the real world yeah and i didn't like that idea but when dream warriors came out Oh, I was rehooked and even deeper in. Yeah. Uh, two is generally panned. And mm -hmm. I got to admit, it's been a long time since I've seen two. And I remember not liking it. Have you ever seen two, Professor? How many of them have you seen? Uh, I, I've seen the first and the third and now the remake. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I know that I've seen, I didn't, like I said, I don't know if I've seen the first one in the theater. Uh, second one through the rest of them I saw in the theater with my friend Nate. Yeah, we went to every opening for every single one. Yeah, uh, I remember when this when the remake came out in 2010, uh, I was all excited. Me and Keenan and it was a bunch of buddies went to like the midnight showing or just, uh, the Thursday night showing. And I remember walking out just going, fuck, that sucked. But what was your reaction to seeing the third one? Dream Warriors? Yeah. I said it was probably my favorite one next to the yeah. original. We, <laughs> we could talk hours upon hours on Dream Warriors, but... Mm -hmm. I will say... I have read the book, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, and the book is as good or maybe even better than seeing the movie. Yeah, if you like reading. It goes into more details and it adds more characters, add more Dream Warriors to the mix. Yeah, if you like reading. Yeah, there's audiobooks. Yeah, it's not on the screen. Who fucking cares? It doesn't count. <laughs> it's fodder. All right, so we are here to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street, released on November 9th, 1984, Directed by the late, great Wes Craven, written by Wes Craven. It stars John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Heather Langenkamp, Amanda Weiss, Nick Corey, Johnny Depp, and Robert England. The monstrous spirit of a slain child murderer seeks revenge by invading the dreams of teenagers whose parents are responsible for his untimely death. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, it was made for a $1.1 million, and it grossed $57 million. So not bad, Mr. Craven. Did you know that that classic nursery rhyme that we heard in the beginning, mm -hmm. who that was written by? Who, who was it written by? Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend came oh, was, up with that. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. So the nursery rhyme that is spoken by the little ones. Uh-huh. Uh, earlier this week, the listeners may not know this, but I'm a school teacher and I teach fourth grade math. And one of my students was commenting that they were up at 1130 finishing up their math. And I'm thinking, what the heck are you doing up at 1130 at night finishing up your math? I said, you know what I was doing? I was watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> and then right after that, one of my other fourth grade students immediately said, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four. Just, and I'm thinking, how do you know that song? A little fourth grader. Um, why do you know that song? Have you seen A Nightmare on Elm Street? 
and they wouldn't answer me. Because you made them feel like they were in trouble. A fourth grader watching A Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, I was probably in the fourth grade when I saw it too, and look how I turned out. I'm just thinking, now I have more hope for that future generation. <laughs> there you go, yeah. I tried to get Elise to watch this with me, both of them, and she wouldn't do it yet, so. And then yesterday, two other fourth graders. I heard two other fourth graders singing, One, two, Freddy's coming for you. I go, why do you know that song? And then they said, such and such taught it to us. <sighs> spreading like wildfire that's what the fear of freddy does that, i'm telling you that's how he spread throughout other people's dreams that's right that's right it was the myth of freddy well it is and it's halloween right so it is kind of fitting so good on those fourth graders i like yeah. it i like it i like it uh where did wes craven come up with the idea for freddy uh from what i have read wes craven first came up with the idea based off of an article that he read about a group of Southeast Asian refugees from the Hmong tribe, and sorry for the pronunciation, uh, several of whom died from horrific nightmares. The group had come to the U.S. to escape the murderous reign of Pol Pot. And I guess what happened was they were in the U.S. for about a year, and these are guys in their 20s and 30s, um, for about a year, they were fine. They were having some nightmare issues. They were was forcing them to stay up. Almost at the one-year mark, they were finding that these refugees, the only men, were waking up in the middle of the night. They would scream and then just drop dead. So Wes Craven read this article, heard about it, and thought about people dying in their dreams and how that could become a great slasher movie. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea for... A Nightmare on Elm Street was born. He also, he based Freddy off of a guy he saw when he was a kid. Him and his brother were in the house and he looked outside and there was this old creepy guy looking up at him. Mm. And, uh, you know, the parents go out, blah, blah, blah. And he goes to, uh, waits about 15 minutes and goes back to the window and the guy's still there. And Wes Craven said that had stayed with him forever. I think he was wearing the Freddy hat. Yeah, I think it was a fedora. And he uh, gets the name from a bully. Yeah, from a, school. A guy who did a paper route on his block too, and it was a bully uh, named Fred Krueger. Yeah, and he's used that name before in a previous movie. There was a, a the last house on the left. Yeah, there was a I guess the bad guy was named Krug. Yeah, never saw that movie. Was a good one. Have you seen it? No, it's very disturbing. Very hard to watch. Very hard to watch. Yeah. Do you know where he got the idea for the uh, sweater? Like why it's red and green? Because it plays havoc on your eyes. Yeah, it's supposed to. He he read somewhere that the Two most contrasting colors are red and green. You put them together and it makes people feel uneasy, yeah. which is why I don't like Christmas. I was going to say, it just makes me think of Christmas. Wes Craven uh, also read somewhere, I guess apparently he reads a lot, that animal claws, like people, a lot of people are afraid of getting clawed by an animal. So he wanted to create something that kind of represented an animal claw. And it always bugged me that they called it finger knives in the movies. Yeah. Or razor knives or, or uh, razor fingers or something. They never called it a claw. There's always been the claw. Yeah. Right? So. Mm. Yeah, it was originally supposed to be, I guess, uh, fishing knives. But if you watch the opening of Nightmare on Elm Street, you see he uses steak knives. Totally. And we had those steak knives growing up. Did which, you? again, scared me even more. All right? So. There is a yeah. whole curse to the glove, too. Did you guys read up on that? Yeah. Pretty they're, much. They're all cursed. Well, pretty much every person that ever tried on the glove cut themselves, 
when uh, in the remake when Jackie Earl Haley was wearing the glove, he cut himself a few times and cut other actors accidentally. Well, uh, newsflash, that's what's going to happen when you use real knives. Yeah, supposedly when you even like when you try to make a fist with it, people were cutting their their own uh, arms with it. Again, real knives. Yeah. I don't know why everyone's so shocked. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a curse. I would call it a lack of common sense. The first glove actually got stolen, and they say that that's how it ended up in uh, the Evil Dead movie, hanging in the shack as a tribute because of, in Nightmare on Elm Street, Heather's watching Evil Dead, but that's how it ended up in the shack because it went missing. Yet another shameless plug for Evil Dead. I know. Didn't and we, did you do, do you remember? Do you remember that uh, I gave Evil Dead an extra half bonus point or a quarter of a bonus point because of the claw, and that was the only reason why I gave it the score. It did. Yeah. Fucking Evil Dead. Thanks, John. Thanks for all of those awesome tidbits. Do you feel smarter? We should have like a, a, a dun 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 dun. John's corner, <laughs> and then he can come out and give all this shit. And then at the end, dun 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 dun. dun You've been listening to John's Corner. <laughs> Up yours with a twirling lawnmower. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And for you listeners out there, if you can tell us what movie that came from, you will receive a high five. In the early 1980s, a psychopath named Fred Krueger, known as the Springwood Slasher, murdered several children with a glove outfitted with straight razor blades attached to the fingers. When a foolish decision by a judge sets Kruger free, an angry mob of parents whose children he terrorized and murdered burn Kruger alive in the boiler room where he worked. Years after his death, the living children of the parents responsible for Kruger's death, including Nancy Thompson, the daughter of the police officer who arrested Kruger, experience terrifying nightmares involving a burned man wearing a glove with razor blades on the fingers. The ghost of Fred Krueger haunts their dreams, and when Nancy's best friend Tina dies violently in her sleep during a dream confrontation with Krueger, Nancy realizes she must find a way to stop the evil psychopath's reign of terror or never sleep again. End movie. All right, so the opening of this flick, what'd you guys think? He's making the glove, it's... I think all of the openings, uh, with the exception of the second one, they did just a great job to draw you. And I love the building of the glove. Yeah. Yeah. In, in this opening shot yeah. where he, we've seen it for the first time. And like in the third one, which of course I had to watch last night, you know, she's building the house. There's always like a building kind of theme or something going on where, you know, the victims are dealing with their pain of trying to stay up and all that. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the first one though. Yeah. So not the third one. Oh, we'll okay. get to the third one. This is the last time I want to warn you. Okay, that, I, I will my... fucking gut you like a pig. Could, could the third one count as my food movie? No, that that would be the fifth one. Oh, all right. So I gotta say right out the gate, Wes Craven does such a great job of painting this picture of the world we're about to enter. I think the opening is creepy. I think the sound uh, or the score that's coming in over it is creepy. It, it, it just made my skin crawl. Even when I watched it last night. I appreciated it more just the way it, it kind of takes you back and the way it looks. I mean, the, I love this fucking opening. Professor, did you have something specific that you liked? Mm-mm. Did you not like this movie? I enjoyed the movie. You enjoyed the movie? Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, Don. Would you take the Freddy from the first movie that's kind of dark, quiet, remains in the shadows most of the time, or the Freddy that we know and love, the one who makes the quips and the the, the one-liners, uh, 
Which do you prefer best? Which is your favorite, Freddy? It's an interesting question because without one, you don't get the other, Mm -hmm. right? But I think if I had to choose, I think I go with the darker Freddy for sure because Mm -hmm. uh, he he was scary to me at the time. And he is kind of what a, a boogeyman or a monster was really like when he invades Tina's dream and he's chasing her down the uh, alleyway or what, just the way he moved. It was just so creepy and everything about him when he became a joke, then it was a fucking joke. Right. So yeah, darker for sure. I have to agree with you. The the darker version was the scarier version. And I liked the idea of building up the fear as each movie went on he became more of a humorous side character uh, that, yeah, he was stalking them, he was killing them, but doing it in just a humorous way that there was no square factor left in the movies. You were just waiting to see what the next one-liner was coming from him until we got to the new nightmare when he kind of started bringing back that murderous Freddy. Yeah, yeah, which, again, we could probably do a podcast on every single one of them um, and probably talk forever. Mm-hmm. But... um. <clears throat> Yeah, so what did you like about the movie? Oh, I loved everything about this movie. Uh, I loved, like I said, again, the concept of Freddy was so much different than any other slasher. I loved the personality. I loved the idea that they, people couldn't get away from him. Um, I liked that opening with the building the glove and getting to see kind of the Springfield slasher side of it, that you know he was something before he was killed and put into the dreams. Right, yeah, yeah. What did you like about it? I thought it was very amusing how he would pop around and come in and out. I appreciated him a lot more on screen in the first one when he was only partially on screen. When he is entirely on screen, his whole body, for whatever reason, he didn't feel as menacing. Mm-hmm. So watching him, you know, run at you, I, I wasn't as, uh, I didn't find him as menacing. Uh, the elongated arms, that was that was good. I really like it when there is less of him on the screen, a little bit like the way we have less of Bruce, the shark in Jaws. Yeah. Less is more. Yeah. And, and I thought that, that he played a lot stronger being a, a, a menacing factor that we couldn't see rather than having him running. Yeah. Agreed, 100%. Him sticking to the shadows, I agree with you, was kind of a, a better take and gave a better mood to this movie. What did you think of the character casting in this movie? Um, I thought the casting was pretty spot on. You know, mm-hmm. you get um, your typical archetypes for your 80s uh, slasher film. And we're introduced to Tina, who we think is probably going to be the final girl. Mm-hmm. And they psycho us and yep. kill her off, um, which he does again in Scream. Uh, and then Nancy, Nancy becomes our final girl. And I think Nancy, uh, lover or hater, uh, becomes, you know, what the final girl ultimately becomes, right? Years before you have Lori Strode, even before that you have Sally from the Texas Chainsaw, but Nancy was more of a thinker. She was, she had moxie. She had grit. She's, she's going to fight this. Yes, absolutely. And when she, I think one of my favorite scenes and I really, really never picked up on it until I watched it again last night. But I think one of my favorite scenes is when her and Glenn kind of, or when she figures it out and she wants to go to sleep and look for him, but she has Glenn 
uh, watch guard over her and fail. Yeah. But well, yeah, well we knew that was coming. Uh, but the way she approaches it and she says, um, I'm going to go in and look for him. She does it with such determination. She goes, I'm starting maybe not to be afraid, but let's go check this shit out. And I think she, I think she is probably the best final girl ever in horror film. Uh, yeah, lore. She's, but that's just my opinion. She steals herself for the, for the task. Yeah. What about Johnny Depp's first movie? Um, Johnny Depp, I thought was fine. What Johnny Depp goes on to become, it's fun to go back and watch him in something mm-hmm. like this. And, uh, apparently he would have been in new nightmare had Wes Craven called. So, but that's neither here nor there. Do you know how Wes Craven ended up picking him over other Glenn's? Yeah. His daughter, Wes Craven's daughter said, he's hot, daddy. You got to put him in a movie. Mm -hmm. He's dreamy. So there's Johnny Depp. And I thought his take on, uh, Glenn, the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. I thought he, he thought he did pretty well. Uh, the bit where they're spending the night at Tina's and he has the fake, uh, airplane sounds to fool his mom. I thought that was kind of funny. That was cute. Yeah. And he, he's got a little, uh, He's got some cute one-liners here and there. I liked how when uh, Heather shot him down, when oh. Nancy shot him down, of you know Tina and Rod go off to do whatever they're going to do, and he kind of looks at Nancy, and he, she's like, not happening. Yep, <laughs> very straight to the point, not happening. And he accepts it, and he goes to yeah. bed, and yeah. I do want to say uh, I have met Heather Langenkamp, one of the nicest celebrities you will ever meet in person i was at a hotel getting ready for a convention and she was checking in and i fanboyed like crazy i saw her in line waiting to check in and i actually went up to her which you should never really do to a celebrity you need to give them space especially when they're just getting to check into a hotel but i went up to her and just told her just flat out spewed all over her saying i loved you in nightmare elm street you're one of my favorite scream queens um i love everything that you do i've been a fan of yours since you were on tv she turned to me she just gushed and she gave me a huge hug and immediately insisted that we take a photo together oh that was so nice so just my love for her grew a hundredfold from that i'm sure that's not all that grew Well, I think her uh, husband was standing next to her, so. Hey, man. <laughs> the, the heart wants what the heart yeah. wants. Yeah, but she was just so excited. I mean, she was very humble. She was like, wow, I didn't even think people would recognize me. And I was like, of course I'm going to recognize you. I've watched you in Nightmare on Elm Street a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Another thing I really appreciated about this movie was uh, we had talked about this, I think, in earlier podcasts, but you have your kills and then you have what happens in between the kills and us getting to the kills. I think this movie did a great job of keeping me engaged in between kills more so than the ones that we've watched previously. Uh, just the story and like we were talking the characters and, and it, it moved at a really good pace and, and the nightmares were tense and, and you could kind of know when you were in the nightmare and then there were times that you had no clue like the classroom scene. Um, yeah, so I really appreciated the in-between moments, in, uh, in-between the kills. I agree moments. with exactly what you're saying is they did a great job of the fake out, which is, are they dreaming? Are they awake? Are we in the dream? Is Freddie about to jump out? Or what's going on? Because, you know, the people would close their eyes just for a second, and you think, okay, did they just fall asleep? Is, is Freddie about to, about to hit? Yeah, I, I totally appreciated that as well, that you can uh, – be on edge because you don't know if you're in a dream or not. Now, the other interesting thing I read was uh, the guy that played Rod, 
I guess he they found him. He was a homeless guy and a homeless actor before living in his car before he was cast in this movie. And he was basically a drug addict and was doing drugs throughout the whole filming. In fact, the prison scene, he's completely drugged up and that's why he looks all sweaty and he's a little bit out of it uh, because he was really out of it at that time. Yeah, well, it worked. Yeah, it, it worked, worked. for him. Um, I guess that's like one of his biggest regrets and I'm, I can't remember if he's still alive or not but there is a great great documentary called never sleep again it's it's a four-hour documentary about all seven nightmare on elm streets and the productions of each one and we talked to directors and actors and i think he's on that and he i think he talks i think he talks about that and how many times have you seen that documentary i've seen that twice twice i Uh, need to see that one four hours i've seen it twice but anyway that's just me one of the things that I liked was the false sense of security of having uh, Mar- um, Nancy's dad being a police officer, plus the fact that it was John Saxon who played a badass in Enter the Dragon. Absolutely fucking John Saxon. So having John Saxon in there being a police officer, I felt really kind of almost safe. Yeah, well, until they... But until they showed us that all of the police officers and adults really are kind of inept, right? How many times does yeah. she have to scream out the window and the guys yeah. looking at her like, huh? Oh. Maybe I should go get the captain. Yeah, <laughs> the lieutenant. Yeah, that, That's yeah. one thing about this movie that always cracked me up. This whole movie series is that all these kids keep either dying in their sleep or committing suicide or whatever. And they all keep telling the parents it's Freddy's fault. Yet throughout the whole series, None of the parents ever believed or catch on. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be dead. Yeah. And if you're dead, you can't come back. This is the really real world. He can't come back. We're not talking the crow. We're talking Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, you get my point, right? The, The adults think that he's dead and you can't come back from being dead. You're right. They tell him a thousand times um nancy's mom was a complete train wreck she oh was she was awesome yeah pulling <laughs> pulling a bottle out eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> carrying it around one, with her having one in the linen closet the, the alcoholic much do you know what heather Lang, what tv show heather Langkamp was in before nightmare on street just the 10 of us there you go yeah dude did you know that just the 10 of us has three of the elm street girls on it that i did not know yeah I'll let you figure that out. Listeners, if you know who they are, uh, send them to us in the comments and you will receive a high five. In general, I found the movie enjoyable to watch. It, it, it's a fun watch. Yeah, it moves pretty good. It's paced really well, right? Yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, John, what didn't you like about the movie? You're all gushy gushy over here. The way the movie was set up, like I've said before, I love the dark. I love the shadows. When it got to the point of the stretched out arms, I felt it looked very puppetry and very hokey, and I felt like it could look a little bit better. Every time I get to that scene, I just feel that that one pulls me out a little bit just because how fake it looks. Well, lucky for you, it's in the beginning. So. Yeah. So that's the, I, of all the things, that's the one thing I don't like. Um, I know Wes Craven wanted the movie to end before that final scene of the kids getting in the car. He wanted uh, Nancy to win and that be the end of it. And uh, everyone else wanted him to put the extra scene in so the possibility of sequels. I'm glad that he put the extra scene in, even though he didn't like it. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Okay. Putting, by putting that stinger in negates 
everything that Nancy just went through. Mm-hmm. And she was such a badass and we, we want Nancy to win. I want Nancy to win. I'm with Wes on this one. They got in the car, drove off, and then maybe Nancy looks out and maybe sees the rope skippers or something, or maybe something just a little bit more subtle if we have to have a stinger in there. Because Bob Shea, like you said, um, that's New Line Cinema, and he was taking a chance because nobody in Hollywood wanted this script. Nobody wanted A Nightmare on Elm Street. So Bob Shea takes his chance, and him and Wes get into this thing about the ending, and it, it actually causes bad blood between Bob Shea and Wes Craven for quite a long time. Yep. So um, I agree with Wes. I think we should have left it the way he wanted it, but we got what we got. And I think if there's only one thing I really don't like about that movie is that ending stinger. Well, the reason why, like I said, like why I like it is, you know, when Nancy defeats Freddie and saying that this is a dream and I'm going to wake up now and she wakes up, we then find out she's still in a dream. And I kind of like that idea that who's in control? Is Nancy in control or is Freddie in control? You can look at it that way, but you'll never get the answer. Well, you won't get the answer until 1987 because two goes a completely different way and that's that. So if you like a very uh, ambiguous ending, well, then good on you. Yeah, and I, I also didn't like... The, you know, I like them getting the car and driving off. I didn't like the idea of, you know, the claw coming through the door and pulling her through the door. That, again, to me, looked very fake. That's, that looks the, that's one of the one things I'll give to the second movie is that the Freddy coming out of the mirror in the second movie, I felt, was a better way to kill off the mom than pulling her through the door. Oh, you're talking the remake. The remake. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. What didn't you like? I think that... Um, having the ending be the ending, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Having Nancy be uh, all all of what she goes through is is for naught. It would have been it would have been better if Nancy would no longer be haunted by this. It's okay to have Freddie go someplace else, and he has no power over Nancy. Right. I, I would have liked that. Yeah, that, that, that would have been okay. There's more than one family in Elm Street that are responsible for his death. Why is he just picking on the Thompsons? Right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the backstory. Freddie's this child murderer, and the parents track him, or he gets off, uh, he gets out of jail on a technicality. The parents of Elm Street track him down of all the kids that he abused or murdered, and they burn him alive. So, I mean, the Thompsons can't be the only one. But they do kind of say in the second movie why he's specifically drawn to them. I didn't watch the second movie. In the second movie, well, in the first movie, they even covered the glove is hidden downstairs in the Thompson house. Now, in the second movie, that's why he possesses, I think his name is Jesse, because he's drawn to the glove. And so, yeah, he, he basically, is. that's the pivotal point. That's why that house is the pivotal point for him. What did you not like, Don? just the ending yeah well that and this is my favorite horror film i don't think it's necessarily the scariest and it's certainly not that scary now it still makes me feel a little bit uneasy but it is my favorite horror film hands down if i was going to show someone new who had never seen a horror film ever this would be the first one i lead with which is funny because i did that with logan and he laughed at me because he didn't find it scary at all Mm -hmm. so I think I bounce back and forth. This is definitely 
one of my top movies, you know, of horror movies. If I had to pick one to go to, it's this one. Or occasionally I'll watch one of the Phantasm movies. You ever watched any of those? Oh, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, they're they're just so, again, so different and out there and trying to figure out the puzzles and all that. I also don't mind a little bit of a Hellraiser. Oh, my God. You just fall further and further and further on my list every fucking time we get together for our podcast. Do you do it on purpose? Do you try and think of what's the dumbest fucking movie I could ever name to really get? Done? Oh, Hellraiser. Are you fucking kidding me, you Hellraiser? You don't like Clive Barker? <clears throat> Not particularly. Hellraiser 1 was weird. It wasn't what I expected, if I'm remembering it correctly. I think it really doesn't pick up until 2, and then I fucking lost count. I think the reason why I'm drawn to movies like that is not so much the movies and the stories, but it's the iconic characters that they create. Freddy is obviously number one. Pinhead is another character who's just so different than other characters and created in such a way that he's so memorable. Um, He's another one that I really like. And then the tall man from Phantasm is just, again, another iconic character that you'll always remember. Yeah, I suppose. Do you know who the tall man in Phantasm is? Oh, yeah, the old guy. Yeah. What was your favorite scene? I don't know if I have a favorite scene. Is there any that jump out at you that you automatically think of? Yeah. The one that I, the, the one of the first ones I almost always think about is uh, Glenn's death. Yeah. The, the water fountain, the, the waterfall of blood coming from the bed. That's one of the first things I think about. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that makes it, I, well, in a way it's memorable, but it's certainly, it, it's not necessarily my, my favorite one. What about you? What's your favorite scene? You know, I think it's going to have to be the Tina kill scene. Just the way that it was done so well of getting to go up those walls. And at that time, you know, we weren't really familiar with that type of design. I mean, I, I'd never seen dancing on the ceiling. Uh, what was it? The, the old black and white movies that they used to turn the rooms. Um, I had not really seen that kind of stuff. And so the idea that she's going up the walls and the blood all over the walls and all that, I, I liked the way it was shot and the way that it was done. The geyser one, definitely a great scene. Uh, definitely memorable. Uh, but the number one, building the glove. I liked, I just love the opening. My favorite scene is probably the when she's in school and she sees the body bag being that looks dragged. So, that looks so good. That was done just right. Having the body bag lying on the floor and then to see the legs go up like somebody's picking it up and then the flop of her arm afterwards as she's being dragged out of sight. That was a really, really effective scene. That big, long smear of blood going all the way down the hallway that stops at the body bag. You take that in for about two beats. The legs come up. The body starts to slide out of frame, you know, into the next hallway. The arm comes out. Beautiful. Do you remember the 48-hour film we made, uh, Screaming in the New Year? Uh Uh-huh. We put a scene in like that, and that's where I was taking it from. That's what I wanted to recreate when uh, Matt carries uh, the actor off uh, by her feet. And I wanted that smear of blood to go. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So inspiring me all the time is a nightmare. Well, let me ask you this. This is the things I never got in these movies. You're sitting in a classroom, whether you're awake or you're dreaming, you see a bloody 
person in a body bag outside the door, it's your first instinct to, I think I'm going to get up and follow that. When you're Nancy, you are. Uh, here's I got a better question for you. When you're at home and you hear things outside, why go outside and look? I don't. I oh. just turn on my cameras and say, I can't see nothing. Must be safe. I'm not going out there. Guys, guys, when you're dreaming, you do all sorts of crazy shit. Oh, he is so When you right. are in the middle of a dream, you do all sorts of crazy, stupid shit, and you don't know why you're doing it because it's a dream. Have you ever had a lucid dream? No. Are you familiar with that term? I have not had a lucid dream. That's where you're fully in control of your dream? Yeah. Oh, that's a great time. I love yeah. those. I will say that there have been times where I've been scared shitless and I have willed myself, pushed myself to not make that happen. I will admit something that as growing up, I always kind of wished to somehow have a dream about Freddy so I could fight Freddy in the dreams and I could be like Nancy or be like some of the other heroes in the movies. And I finally did eventually have a nightmare with Freddy in it and about pissed myself. So I failed. Yeah. I would I would have been a victim. Yeah, careful what you wish for. Yeah. Uh, speaking of victim, Jonathan, favorite kill? Again, going back to what I already said, got to be Tina. Uh, just the fact that, you know, she flies around the room and then the slash marks on her. Uh, just so brutal. Yeah. Sir? Tina, absolutely. You know what gets it for me, and we'll make it Tina unanimously, is when she falls. Mm-hmm. After she's reaching for Rod and she's saying, help me, help me. She falls and then that splatter of blood and just the finality of it when she hits the mattress. Uh, <clears throat> fucking traumatizing, as I <laughs> told you earlier. So easily. Probably my favorite kill in any horror movie that I've seen today. I love the fact that your childhood trauma is your favorite kill. Yeah. Crazy. And I like... I thought they, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes probably, but I thought they kind of did an okay job recreating that in the remake, and I like that he paid homage to it again in A New Nightmare. So We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I'm just saying I like the fucking scene. We'll get to that. I will say that I also enjoyed having, I, I really enjoyed having Tina come back after she was dead, that, you know, when, when Nancy goes to sleep and you get Nancy. And she's standing there in the bloody body bag. It's like, oh, yeah, that was that was that that was a nice pull because you're it, it's very unassuming. It's during the day. You're at school, and then oh, yeah, yeah. But you kind of also from that scene, you know, I guess giving Nancy some credit is it shows that Nancy's a hero. She's gonna try to go save Tina, even though she's in a body bag. She's yeah. in a dream. That's why she does the crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I really dug the uh, atmosphere of the boiler room. I thought it was simple. Uh, I love the bit when she is, it's the same dream, actually. She's running through the boiler room, and then she gets cornered by him. And Freddie, you know, they always say that uh, 80 or uh, Dream Warriors is when Freddie kind of turned the corner and became kind of kitschy Freddie. But there was a spark of it in this scene with him and Nancy, when he's saying come to Freddie and, you know, flicks his tongue like a snake. And you can see that there's that attitude, right? And that's what we haven't gotten out of any of our slashers in any of our films, mm-hmm. which makes him, you know, in, in my book, the, the, the godfather of them all. But, um, I, I love the, the fact that Nancy has the wherewithal to know where she's at and burn herself 
to wake up, and which will become a reoccurring theme throughout all these movies. Burn yourself and wake up. Did you catch the goof in that scene? It bugged me every time I looked at it. She burns the back of her arm, but when she wakes up, the burn's on the inside of her arm. I am going to shamelessly admit I didn't even notice. What? Didn't even notice. That's, what? That's one glaring thing. There's a few others, but... How could you not notice that? I know. I, and I'm actually kind of shocked that you just pointed that out, and I didn't notice that. That's how much I love this movie. That's yeah. what I'm willing... I'm, I love it so much, I'm willing to forgive it for its after, obvious flaws. After she has the bandage on, yes, but the bandage is on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I will also say that we did get a couple of glimpses here of the future Freddy with the one-liners. He had a couple of good one-liners in this movie. One of them is when, I think, was it Tina who said, oh, my God, and he said he pulled up his glove and he says, this is God. Mm -hmm. And then the other one-liner is when he says to Nancy, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Yeah, after the tongue comes out so, of the phone. Yeah, you kind of get the thing, you know, the whole story. Now, I guess there is a story on set that after they filmed that scene with the tongue coming out of the phone, that Heather Langenkamp asked to take that home with her. And to this day, the people who made the film still don't know why and kind of question it. I also appreciated the scene uh, when they take her to the sleep study, right? So her parents kind of believe her. Uh, they're at Rod's funeral after he gets hung and... Nancy's mom is like, I'm going to get her help. So they take her to the uh, sleep institute. Uh, did you guys recognize who that doctor was? No, sir. He was the future Roger Rabbit. That's the voice of Roger Rabbit. And uh, she goes into the dream, and this is where she figures out that she can pull shit out of her dream, which I thought was a pretty cool effect. And then this is kind of what leads her down the path of, I'm going to get this fucker now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I really like that scene, too. Yeah. You know what? I like the whole fucking movie. So you call yourself a fanboy? Of A Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. What would you say? I think so. Okay. Well, he says it's his favorite horror movie. I know. I feel like I have to point out the obvious to this guy all the time. Anything else about uh, the night, first Nightmare on Elm Street? Do we, Do we have to talk about the remake? Well, you made me talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. So I'm going to go ahead and say... That was TJ's yes. fault. That was not my fault. For the re well, okay, I guess we could blame. No, you know what? I am going to fucking blame you. Do you know why? Why? Because TJ isn't here. All right, so we are going to leave 1984 and go into 2010, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Death stalks the dreams of several young adults to claim its revenge. A man named Fred Krueger worked as a gardener at a preschool. The parents discover he inappropriately touched and hurt their children, and they respond by burning him alive. They cover up all the details and hide the truth from the children. Years later, the teenage children begin dreaming of a razor-bladed, finger-gloved man who haunts their dreams, killing them one by one until only Nancy and Quentin remain. Together, Nancy and Quentin uncover the truth about Freddy, return to the school, and bring Freddy out of the dream world to end his revenge-filled killing spree in a wrath of fire and flames. 
N movie. This movie was released on April 27, 2010, and it was directed by Samuel Bayer, written by Wesley Strick and Eric Hessener. It stars Jackie Earl Haley, Kyle Gellner, Rooney Mara, Katie Cassidy, Thomas Decker, Kellen Lutz, and Clancy Brown. It was made for $35 million and took home $118 million. So, you being a big Freddy nut and me being a big Freddy nut, Professor, what did you think of the remake? Oh, I in general, I thought that this remake sucked. Oh. I, I, I thought it sucked dramatically. It had no tension to it. It, it was a, a very poor movie. In one respect, it does do something that the others, that the other remakes I didn't think do. There was some sort of a storyline. Yeah. You could follow it through. There was a deeper storyline, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Our our our, our other two that we did, um, uh, Texas Chainsaw and, and Friday the Third. Thir- there, there's no storylines in there, right? But in this one, there is a storyline, and I'd say that's probably the only thing that I thought that gives any integrity to the movie. Did you like the storyline? I thought that the storyline was pedestrian it was mass average uh the fact that he was a pedophile i didn't need that i didn't want that uh no i guess the original plan for the first movie uh for the 1984 version was to have freddie be a pedophile but there was a big case that came out in california around the same time where a school in real life um a pedophile got caught and there was a lot of action or a lot of incidents with that situation and so they decided to cut that out of the first movie. I'm glad they did. It's one of the biggest things that bothered me about this movie is in you know the originals and in the sequels, you had Freddy as this slasher, the Springfield slasher, and he's a killer. And he's like Jack the Ripper, but haunts your dreams. This movie, they just turned him into a creepy pedophile. Yeah, I don't... When they cut it from the original, I was glad because all I really need to know... Um, is that he was a child murderer. I'll break it down like this, all right? I've always been against knowing the backstories of our killers, right? I don't fucking care. Same. Right? The explanation that Nancy gets in the original from her mom down by that fireplace when she shows her the glove, that's all I need. I let my imagination do the rest. Yeah. The fact that they made him a pedophile and the fact that they made that the, all the kids went to school together and it was really about the kids, I they I, they were trying to do something different a la Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it just wasn't very good. And so I agree with you. I did, I did not like this story. I did not like the arc that they took with it. Don't fuck with my Freddy. Well, originally this movie was supposed to be a prequel and they ended up making it a remake and... I felt like, like you were saying, Professor, they made this deeper storyline, but they tried to pay homage to the original movie by refilming almost shot for shot a lot of the murder scenes and a lot of things that happened in the first movie to the point where it just looked like a new kind of a new story with redone scenes. Yes and no. I think that... um the I don't think they were trying to do shot for shot. I think they did. They paid homage on I would say at least two or three things mainly. Mm. Um, Chris's death, which is Tina, the yeah. bathtub, they and put, the and the stairs. They put bl- a blood geyser in it. Um, they did a lot of different things. They had the rotating kind of the room up the walls. 
Well, what's the difference? So I'm just saying they, they put in a lot of that same kind of stuff in there. Oh, okay. I mean, and that's one th- it, it was in there. I'm not going to argue that. And so in this film, we get Freddy's backstory and we get it told in a dream sequence and he's getting ran down by the parents and they burn him alive and blah, blah, blah. And at this point, we know he's a pedophile. What really bothered me is what, uh, that the kids immediately thought that they had lied, which automatically makes you want to think that Freddy Krueger was innocent. And that is horseshit. He's Freddy Krueger, right? That, that Why was, are you fucking with this? That was supposed to be the big twist in this movie. Is they Originally, the writer and director wanted him to be innocent and that he went to evil because the parents hunted him down and burned him alive. And now the movie became all about him seeking revenge. Oh, that's um, fucking But dumb. then they decided... You know, during like halfway through the movie to throw the twist in there again that no, he really was a bad guy. Yeah, no. So um, I'm glad, you know, that he ended up being a bad guy, but I, I don't like the direction they took. Yeah. And again, I don't need the whole backstory. If you want to see a really good backstory of Freddy Krueger, kind of a little bit more than what we got in the original, watch the opening to Freddy versus Jason. I think they tell it perfectly. They make him creepy enough. It's Robert Englund and it, it's great. It's a, like a 30 second intro. So this movie just, it was boring. And what I, <laughs> what I really didn't like about this movie is all the kills, everything leading up to it was boring boring how many times did freddy invade your dreams we saw him there was an interaction but he didn't kill him you know what i mean he just kept drawing it out and out and out i think one or two times you can get away with it but this film does it like three or four times for every character can i tell you my theory on that i suppose uh it's something that he says early on in the movie when she says you're not real and he makes a comment i'm real now is that he's building up their fear each time because he needs to build it up to a point where he can actually kill them. That he's not technically real. He's part of the dream, and their fear is what's making him more real. So that's why he has to kind of build it up for each kill. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll buy the concept, but it goes on for too long. Oh, I agree. It drags out. I did sort of enjoy that the movie opens with a dream right off the bat at the diner that the fact that we jump immediately into a dream and you could tell within 10 seconds, that's, Oh, we're opening in a dream. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I, I did kind of like that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and the fact that Dean ends up cutting his throat, that, that looked pretty good. Yeah. And it was different. We hadn't seen that yet. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what character he's really parallel to. I think he's like an addition, which is come to be expected in a remake but it, they kind of do the same thing that uh wes craven did kellen lutz comes from that that sparkly vampire movie and so you would think that he, they're not going to kill him off so quick out of all of those characters he was or out of all those actors he was probably the most well known so he uh they're paying homage to killing off the guy we think is going to go on they kill him off really off early uh, just like they do with Tina and, you know, well, I th- that old trope. I, the movie that jumps out at me is uh, Drew Barrymore in Scream. Yeah, yeah. And that's... You, know, you got your big famous actor and all of a sudden they just kill him off right in the beginning. I will say that uh, Heather Langenkamp was approached to do a cameo in that diner scene and downright refused. She did not want to be in the movie. Well, thank you, Heather, for having the good sense to stay out of it. Yeah, I think it would have been a shame because I think you would have seen Nancy, you would have seen Heather in that scene and th- want her more in the movie and be sad that she was just part of a dream sequence yeah 
I got I got to say that all of, all of the uh, uh, dreams that we come into, there's no tension. There, there's no tension. I, I, I have no anxiety. Oh, we're in a dream, and we know that you know Freddie's going to do something obnoxious in it, and maybe he kills, maybe he doesn't kill. But I, I certainly uh, thought, you know, right off the bat, oh yeah, this is a dream because you know it, it looks starkly different from real life. It, it didn't lull us into a false sense of are we awake or are we asleep necessarily right and and i guess to be fair they try and do that later on in the film after they introduce the concept of micro naps which i thought was kind of cool i thought that could that could work uh but i understand what you're saying every time we're in the dream there is no tension and there are those moments in films where you know a jump scare is coming you know a jump scare is coming right and this one they i felt like they tried to build that moment but then they would show freddy mm-hmm. they wouldn't jump scare you they would just show freddy and that's such a boner killer right it just lets all the air out and you're like oh well freddy's right there that's not really scary and you know jackie earl haley is a fine actor and i i think he's good in other stuff but there will only be ever one freddy krueger and that's Robert Englund. And unfortunately, this film suffers from all of those other films that try to uh, replace icons uh, that were there before them. I just don't buy it. So I was actually just about to ask you about Jackie of, of course, Bad News Bears fame. Uh, Do you know how he got this role? Like what got him this role? This role? This role as Freddy Krueger. Does it have anything to do with him uh, auditioning for the original? Uh, They actually saw his audition tape for Watchmen. Oh, okay. There you go. They, that makes sense. They saw that Rorschach character and thought, this needs to be the new Freddy. Yeah, he exuded no fear. But I, I will say that I thought that it showed that he had spent some time dinking around with the glove. There were many subtle uh, nuances of him uh, being playful with the glove that I, I thought that it showed he had spent some time dinking around. What can I do with this prop? Yeah, that kind of makes it mine, something different than what England did. Mm-hmm. And it's when he scissors them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said scissor. Um, that was new, and that, that was kind of creepy, I guess. I think there's, I think that uh, this Freddy is creepy in maybe one or two scenes at best. At best. At best. I think the first one, or I think that one of them is when he kills Jesse in the prison, and he, you know, tells him that once the heart stops beating, your brain is still alive for seven more minutes. And then he says, that means we have six more minutes to play. And I thought actually, that was really fucking creepy. That's actually a true fact, too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I, I, I thought that was creepy. And then he comes across as really pedophile creepy when it's him and nancy in the room and he's trying to be that grossness and you're my number one nancy here's the way i see it in the original nightmare on elm street movies in the series there was a part of you that probably kind of wished you know kind of hoping for you want freddie to win in this movie when they make him a pedophile you just want to see him get beat down you I, just want to see it end and be over i i don't know if i ever wanted to see freddie win and you weren't kind of rooting for him a little bit I, I never did. Not mm. not going back and thinking about the the sequels and the way the story nets out. I, Freddy was always the bad guy, and that's what made him so awesome to me. Mm. That's what made him so, you know, he was the character I was scared of. I was never rooting for him. He fucking killed kids, dude. That's fucked up. Eh. You mean eh? 
<laughs> I, I, I side with the machines. Holy shit. If you could... Uh, faithful listeners out there, I apologize for John's comments. Do you know what Jackie's motivation was for this character, Freddie? Like where he got his motivation from and his... Uh, Rorschach? No, he said that you put anytime you spend three hours in a makeup chair, you're going to be just like Freddie. That's what Robert Englund said too. He said he was getting his makeup done, and he would look over and see Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp in their nice chairs and getting their hair done, and he's getting, you know, doused in KY jelly and and putting all this fake prosthetics on. And he said he used that in his performance because he fucking hated those fuckers. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, speaking of makeup, what did you think of? Nope, I'm gonna stop Jackie's you right there. Makeup in this movie versus the original. But well, what did I just say? So I'm gonna stop you right there. I guess they were going for more realism on what a burn victim would look like as they heal, and I just thought it looked like his face was just melted. It just didn't look. Yeah, this is didn't the, look intimidating at all. Almost looked kind of pathetic. Yeah, this is the the second one of these remakes where they fucked the villain up mm-hmm. with Leatherface. It was that stupid fucking mask, and with this one, it was the stupid fucking makeup for Freddy. I didn't. Did I, I didn't like look, it. He did not look good. Uh-uh, a hundred percent. I, you know, I, I really didn't like this film and, it, and and it's kind of an insult to fucking Wes Craven and the original, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things about a horror film that can go wrong and there's so many things that, you know, if it's not done right, it's just hokey and dumb and, it, and that's what Platinum Dunes has done to these remakes. Outside of Friday Thirteenth, but well, that's just me. What should a remake do? I'm, because clearly this remake didn't do it. But what should a remake do? I feel like a remake should be representing a story that wasn't represented before, that adds to the richness of the original story. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. I think uh, for myself, I don't think we need remakes. That's where, that's kind of where I'm at. When is a remake better than your original? It doesn't happen very often. No, out of the four, we have one. But can you think of any remake out there, uh, non-horror or anything, that's better than the original? I have one, but I have not seen the original, and I heard the original was pretty pretty lame. I have one, too. And given when the original was made and the remake was made, I mean, I think John Carpenter did it right. And I'm referring to the thing. I think the thing remake oh, is that's, better than, oh, yeah, than yeah. the original because the yeah. original was like 1950 something. Yeah. Yeah. So the one I'm thinking of is Ocean's Eleven. Oh, well said. Yeah. I, I agree with you. <laughs> Only because, spoiler alert, the original ends on such a downer. <laughs> so I, I never saw the original, but I, I, have, um, I have read numerous accounts of the original movie that it's really not worth a watch. Yeah. No. Yeah. You want a fun Ocean's movie, watch the original, or but, watch but the Clooney. Coming back to, what's the point of making a remake? It, it, it's, it should be something you that you want to embrace to tell a better story, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. I always thought the remakes were just basically a retelling of the story, but using the technology of today to make, to draw the people in deeper and to have better special effects and just a better way to tell the story. But I... You know, I can't think of one off the top of my head that has done it right just yet. Well, it's good that you say that. And that's a good point, John, because that was one of the motivating factors in putting this movie together was that the technology, the CGI, they thought would be uh, better to give a more sophisticated approach to uh, what the audience is viewing. So Mm -hmm. specifically at the very end of the movie, you know, having having, uh, uh, Gwen... You know, 
to be pulled through the door. No, having having Freddie come out and then the 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 blades go through her eyes. I thought that looked a lot better than 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 the original one where she gets pulled through the door. Agreed. And to counterpoint that, the scene where uh, Freddie's coming out of the wall in the new one looks very CGI yes. and kind of hokey. Yes. The one from the original was a practical effect and someone stretching through a, a stretchy it looked wall good. looked spandex, way better, yeah. right? So sometimes, way. yeah, so sometimes the update in technology can either be uh, helpful or a hindrance. So mm-hmm. it, it all depends on how you use it. How you execute it. Exactly. Um, can I also tell you another thing that just pissed me off? No. <laughs> good thing I wasn't asking you, fuckface. Go Professor, ahead. thank go, you. Go ahead. Uh, they changed the house. Did anybody notice that? In the original, the uh, door's kind of in the middle. In this one, the door is all the, the way, way on, on the, the right. Side. Yeah, it's all the way on the side. Yeah. That bugged you. That annoyed the shit out of me. I don't think I even noticed the house. Really? Yeah. And you call yourself a fan. Here's another thing. I liked like and, I said, and er, another thing, and, and I like I said earlier, I like the idea of micro naps. However, if Nancy's having these micro naps, uh, specifically the one in the pharmacy, when she gets in the car with Quentin at the next scene, how is she not asleep? How does she stay up? Anybody? I don't know. Yeah. See, and it's little things like that. And when they go in, and you know, it's the same trope. They're going to pull Freddie out because Nancy figures out that she can do it. This Nancy kind of stumbles upon how to beat Freddie, whereas our original Nancy goes out and searches for the answers. So I think there was a big difference there. I didn't. Um, I mean, I don't mind Rooney Mara as an actress. I think I've seen some things that she was in that were pretty good, but I don't think that she was a very convincing Nancy either. Yeah, the story I read about her is she had such a bad time on the filming of this movie. Uh, she just, she didn't need, like when she auditioned for the role, she guess she didn't even really want the part, uh, but she got it. She had such a miserable time and the fan reaction afterwards was so bad that the actress almost quit acting altogether. Well, it kind of shows on screen. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows that she didn't want to be there. So whatever. Uh, were there anything... Anything else that you guys didn't like besides this whole film, besides the film? I was about to ask you, you know, was there anything you want to point out? I think, like I said, the the biggest thing gets to me, especially in that boiler room scene or the dark cave or something, like his secret cave, um, that pedophile scene where he's kind of climbing on top of her and all that, just really grossed me out to the point of just not so much of being into the movie, but just, again, starting to look at my watch and wishing it was over. Yeah. I, uh... I, I thought uh, Quentin's character, he, you know, he's supposed to be adding to the movie, but I don't know. He just, he, he really fell flat for me. He, he was, he was, I don't know. You know, he's supposed to be, you know, a, a champion for us, but uh, he certainly didn't inspire me at all during the story. Yeah. Well, because he was such a wimp. He, he gave in and caved every time he got in trouble. It wasn't until the end that he actually steps up and does it. But I see what you're saying. He is flat. And the fact that, you know, he's the one that Nancy goes to, he's the equivalent of the Johnny Depp character. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. Except except he can't get a date. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know. Why doesn't he not die? Why does he get to live? I don't know. Listen to me. I'm fucking rooting for Freddie now. What the fuck? You're on my side. No, never. I'm never or will never be on your side. Did you uh, catch the connection to another remake we've talked about Friday the 13th? In what? 
in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Did you catch the connection? They were both produced by Michael Bay. Well, the in the movie. The guy on the webcam is the same guy. He's, oh, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. Chewy from Friday the 13th. Yeah, a- yeah. Aaron Yu. I thought he had looked familiar. I will say that my eyes totally rolled when I saw Michael Bay as a producer. It's like, oh, my God. I thought yeah. that pl- that part was, although it wasn't really necessary, it was kind of clever to have him smash into the screen and just turn off. Well, yeah, and but, I mean, you... You you had to see that coming as, mm-hmm. as soon as she turned it on and watching videos of them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of another thing I didn't like was you have all of these uh, kids all over the country who are dying or whatever, which means they all had gone to the preschool with these kids, whereas in the original, it didn't matter, but... It was kind of just, it was based on Elm Street and it was those parents and you got the sense of community and, and this, that, and the other. So I don't know. It, they, they, they tried to keep it the same, but make it different. And yeah, it just kind of fell flat. Should we compare the two movies? Do, do we have to? I mean, I guess we should. Well, here's the question. Are the two movies comparable? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess in theory and on paper, you can compare them. But I don't think there is anything in the remake that would trump anything in the original for me. So normally this is the part where I would do a scorecard of trying to compare the two just to see if we even give any points to the the remake. I think I already know the answer to every single question. Which one had the better script? Don, you're obviously going to go with the first one? Oh, yeah. Ken, you're going to say the first one? Duh. Although, like we've said... The, the second one has more of a story to it, but I think I agree with you, Don, more that it didn't need the extra story. We didn't need the extra background. I, one of the things I loved about every one of the original Nightmare on Elm Street movies was they just told you his background. You didn't need to see his origin. The thing with that, the movie before the final cut, I think it was number six, where they reveal he had a daughter and he was a family man. We didn't need to know all that, and that's what really ruined that movie even. Uh, besides the fact that it was redone. That so, is so odd to hear you say that because it seems like so many times you're on the other side. I, I'll agree with that. Usually I am. But as I've said before, this is such a unique story compared to everything that it's a new story. And normally I do like to know the bad guy's origin, the bad guy's story of what got him to this point. But with Freddy, you're told everything you need to know. He's a serial killer. He loved to kill kids. That was his target. He was burned alive. And somehow he came back in the dreams. Yeah. Well, and and the more mysterious, the scarier it is. The more we know and what we're supposed to sympathize. No. Right. No. Right. And keep it nebulous. Keep it ambiguous. Make it more menacing. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. According to my scorecard, because I'm guessing, Ken, you're pretty much giving all your points to the, the first one. Absolutely. The only one box that I can check for the remake is the original movie only had four kills. The remake had five. That's the only point it gets. Because I obviously, me as well, fanboy for the original series, for the original movie, I got to give all my points to the original Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Yeah, hands down. Like I said, it's probably my favorite horror movie of all time. So... Uh, when we saw this on the list of the movies that we were reviewing, I knew right away, you know, this was the one. But it gave me a chance to talk about Freddy, and I fucking love this movie. So mm-hmm. there you have it. Um, 
And it gives me a reason to go out and buy more props. For me. So, yes. Thanks, John. If anybody out there wants to sell me like a Freddy Silicone cheap mask, I, I would love to add that to my collection. That's the next thing I'm looking at on Etsy. Yeah, so as soon as you find that, let me know and I will take it from you. Okay. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, all right, so uh, are we ready to rate these bitches? I think we should. But hey, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a one to five scale. A five is a movie that you are ready to watch again immediately. It You're down to watch it anytime. A one is a movie that you just saw and said, I'm never going to watch that again. It's okay. I watched it. You know, I, I did my penance. I'm never watching that again. It's just not worth it. And a three is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you'll watch that again. Maybe you'll own it, but you know, it, it's going to be not right away. And a zero. A zero is you are so pissed about having just watched said movie that you are screaming at whoever can hear you that somebody owes you two hours of your life back. All right, who wants to go first? All right, I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to start with A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Uh, Again, I've been saying it all night. I love this film, and just from the opening, uh, the score, the dream sequences, the in-between, the kills... Uh, scenes all of it just works for me the cast is great uh the uh the practical special effects they age well i think it looks great today in 2021 um still felt a little uneasy watching it uh that it started uh, my love for freddie and all of these films and it's that film that i remember my childhood and every time i watch it there's some nostalgia there and and i think that's got to count for something so yeah so with all of that being said uh rewatchability you could say hey let's turn off the mics and stuff and let's watch it right now and i would say okay so for that i'm going to give it a 4.75 no five. I thought I might hear a five out of you. Do, do you want to rate the remake? The remake is forgettable. I want. I would love to say that the filmmakers had their hearts in the right place, kind of like I did with Solo and and other rem- uh, and with other stuff like that. But it was. Just, it just felt empty, and it just drug on, and I could care less about the characters. It did have a couple of bright spots: Chris's death, the conversation with Jesse, the mom at the end, um, them trying to fill the in-between scenes as best they could. But it, it just went on for far too long. Uh, I did give it a bonus half point for all the lines from the other movies that they included in it. There was a couple of lines from the third film uh, that they used in it and I caught it. And if you were a fan of the series, it was something that they threw in as an Easter egg, which was nice, but it wasn't enough to give it a full point for me. So I'm going to give the remake 0.5. Okay. I'll go next. You do that professor. All right, so the uh, uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I found it very enjoyable to sit and watch again. It was kind of nostalgic in a way for me to watch it because I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it was a very enjoyable watch. I really appreciated uh, Nancy. She is a fierce player in the story, and the fact that she is 
so resilient and she is not going to shirk away from Freddy, but instead chooses to take him head on. I, I, I loved that about the character. She is so good for that because we see that so rarely in horror movies where people are willing to step up at that critical moment. And most, most of the time, you know, it goes the other way and you fumble your way through it. But Nancy, she, do, she doesn't do that. And I, I, I applaud the storyline for that. That was really good. Uh, having uh, Freddie being introduced to us in the movie, wow, you know, what, what a great character. And I, I really uh, am enjoyed the, uh, the, the, the teasing that we get of little bits and pieces of him, and he's just not shown to us as much as he is. I feel like in the, in the remake, there is so much more Freddy shown all the time, and it just takes all of the, 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 the mystery and, and, and the, the horror away from him because he's on screen so prominently so much. So the, uh, the original story, just I, I feel like it just fires on all cylinders, it's it's a it's a good fun movie, and I'm gonna give this a three point two five. For the remake, the remake has so little going for it. the The CGI that I was speaking about earlier, the the deaths, those are those you know do definitely uh, show better. I also appreciated most most specifically that. You know, of the other two movies that we've already watched, we have the strongest of the three remakes in a, a somewhat of a story. There, there's something of a story in this one. And because of that, I'm going to give it an extra 0.5 on top of my original score. And um, I, I, I found so little to be inspired or to think back you know, there are lots of little moments in the original uh, Nightmare that, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that looked good. Oh, yeah. I really didn't get that in the remake. There, it's all just pretty forgettable. So in the end, I'm going to give the remake a 0. 0.5. Do you even need to hear my review? <laughs> I am eager to hear your review. Thank you for listening to Three Guys <laughs> in a Flick. This is where we review. So for me... The idea of what makes a good movie is a movie that, one, you really want to talk about afterwards. Two, it lingers in your brain. And three, like we've talked about before, you really look forward to seeing it again. Like, it's not just one that you come across, oh, it's on, I'm going to watch it. You think, I really need to watch that movie again. And for me, this movie hits all three of those. Uh you know, since seeing the first one, you know, I have a friend, like I've said before, that we used to watch these movies together. We still, to this day, talk about Freddy and we kind of fanboy over Freddy. Even today, you know, if they were to make a new sequel off of the original series, I think I'd be there opening night just to see it, even knowing it probably wouldn't be that great and wouldn't take me back to what it was. It's just he's such an iconic character that still is popular today tells me that how great this movie was. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a five. It's going to be one of my few fives that I give. Remake, I tried to watch the remake a little bit differently. I tried to imagine that I was seeing Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time while watching the remake. 
The problem is that's really difficult to do because I found myself again comparing it, you know, Freddy versus Freddy. If I had seen just the remake and never seen the original, I don't think I would have fanboy as much over the iconic status of Freddy because they had made him creepy, they made him forgettable, and they made it to the point where you just wanted to end and you didn't want a sequel. You just wanted to see him get beat down. And I think that's the pedophile aspect of nobody ever wants to see a pedophile win. And the Nancy and all the other characters, forgettable, you don't want to see them come back. You don't want to. It kind of felt to me like Chainsaw Massacre that I just wanted these characters to go. I just wanted to see them, you know, be taken out one by one to the point where the movie is over and we're done with it. Uh, there were times I was checking my watch. Like you've said, you know how a movie is bad, Don. Well, when you keep checking your clock to see how much time you have left. Um, so for that movie, I'm going to agree with both of you. I'm going to give it a 0.5. Next week, we are going to leave the comfortable streets of Elm Street, and we're going to head down to Haddonville, Illinois, to check out Halloween and the 2007 Rob Zombie remake. And let me tell you this. This will be the first remake that we're watching without Michael Bay. So I'm excited for Thank this one. God. You know what I'm excited about? What's that? A little bit of Jamie Lee Curtis. <sighs> All right, so that will do it for our trip down to Elm Street. Uh, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at any haunted podcast or popular or non-popular podcast hosting site. Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, so... Thank you, everyone, for listening, our True Believer listener, our listener, Ronnie, everyone else there who wants to download. We had 1,000 downloads. Uh, we talked about that earlier, so keep them coming. And, um, yeah, so for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John, and I'll see you in your dreams. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. So question for you, Don. In the scene where Nancy booby traps the house, do you think Home Alone was a ripoff of Nightmare on Elm Street? I think that scene was. I think Christopher Columbus was writing Home Alone and going, hmm, this would be a good idea. Let's set booby traps. And someone said, oh, like in a Nightmare on Elm Street? And he was like, yeah, let's do that. A total ripoff. Yeah, well, that's what I just said. Was that your idea for the end of the stinger? That's all I got. Oh, that's all you had? <laughs> Did you have any? Wow, that was fucking... <laughs> that was deep, dude. Me. That was fucking deep. I thought I was thinking of something, too, and now I can't. Well, now you fucked it up. I know. No, you fucked it up. God, fuck no, that guy. No, okay. you fucked No, you fucked it up. No, you, you fucked it up. No, you fucked it up. That's the most time I think we said fuck. Sorry, Downs, Dad. Fuck, fuckity. Fuck, fuck, fuck. All right, fuck off. Good night.